Please turn with me to the 23rd Psalm this morning. That's found on page 458 in the Bibles that have been provided for you in the rows if you do not have your own copy of the Scriptures this morning. I'm sure many of our women in the congregation were happy to see when they opened the bulletin that I wasn't doing Proverbs 31 again this year. But I would like to point out, men, that that is actually a proverb written to men. So it should not be placing the guilt upon the, the women for areas they feel like they should not measure up, but speaking of, a, of an ideal of, of the things that should be appreciated in the life of a woman. Psalm 23, I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's only six verses. It will sound very familiar to you, I am sure. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen your church as we learn from this well-known passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray that as we consider you as the true and good shepherd over our lives, Lord, that we would delight in who you are and what you do. Lord, that our lives would be changed as we grow to know you better. Lord, that as needed, Lord, your spirit would bring conviction Help us, Lord, to see you as you are and to respond in faith that you would be glorified in our lives. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning we we turn to perhaps the most well-known chapter in the entire Bible. Now, you could certainly argue that John 3.16 is probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. At least you've seen the reference. If you watched sporting events back in the 80s, you had the guy with the, the clown wig and holding up the sign uh, at, at golf tournaments and other sporting events. John 3.16. But, but as we consider passages of Scripture, you, you really would be fi- hard-pressed to find another passage in the Bible that, that even most non-Christians could quote from memory. 
And even as, as I read it, even as we sang a, a version of it a, a few moments ago, I, I, I have no doubt that there may have been some here that, that even as I was reading it, you were reciting it in your own mind, in, in whatever version it is that you learned Psalm 23 in. You almost always hear it read at funerals because it is a psalm that is filled with comforting words. But, but, but the reality is, is that the psalm itself is a celebration of the love and, and the care of God. Now, I want to be honest, the, the, the struggle for me in, in preparing to preach from, from the 23rd Psalm is not that it's so well known by everyone. I mean, honestly, you, you struggle with those passages because I know it, right? I, I've heard it throughout my life. I, I, can, I can sit this one out. Let me think about what I need to do this week. Let me, let, let me, let me, let me worry as to whether or not we're going to get out on time so we can make the Mother's Day reservation at the restaurant. Now, that, that, that's not the real struggle this morning. The, the real struggle for me as I look at the 23rd Psalm is, is, and prepare to, to preach it is, is there are so many different angles that we could approach these six verses from. Now, obviously, you can tell from the, the sermon outline, if, if you've looked at it in the, in the bulletin, that, that I'm going to, to focus primarily on God as our shepherd. This is, a, this is a powerful imagery that we find in Scripture, and, and we're going to look at that in some detail, but, but there's no way even I could plumb the depths of that angle for us to, to, to fully appreciate all the, that there is to, to, to see as we consider the 23rd Psalm from that angle. But we could also approach the Psalm from the perspective of the fact that in the middle of the Psalm, David changes his pronouns for God. He, he, he begins by talking in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. But then midway through, he, he, he transitions to, to, to first person. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they, they comfort me. What's, what's going on in, in David's mind as he makes this transition? We, we, we could spend a lot of time looking at that transition. There, there are cultural things to be considered from this psalm. Even as I was preparing, I thought, wow, you know what would be cool to, to take the 23rd th third Psalm and actually do six sermons, one for each verse as we really dig in. And maybe, Lord willing, someday we'll do that. I start this way because I, I want to point out to you, brothers and sisters, that in spite of the, the temptation to, to, to fly through the passages of Scripture that we're familiar with, to do so is a grave mistake. If you, if you missed the adult Sunday school class this morning, speak with Mike Rohrer and, and get a worksheet with the answers on it to, to, to learn a little bit more about the inductive study method. 
It was a great reminder of our need to, to, to really sit down in passages and, and interact with what we find there. There, there are a lot of ways we could, we could tackle this with the end result of growing in our intimacy with God. That, that's the goal. Psalm 23 is all about God. There are undoubtedly other approaches that we could take, but I think you get the picture. We want to approach the 23rd Psalm with a sense of awe and reverence that is due God, no matter how familiar we are with the words of the passage. My prayer this morning is, is that no matter how well we may be able to recite the 23rd Psalm, that our love for God and, and our sense of awe of Him will grow because of what we learn together today. The, that, that the love of the great shepherd, that the great shepherd has shown us in the gospel, especially as New Testament Christians, will lead us to a greater devotion to him, whether we are lying down in the green pastures, if you will, or are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or, or even eating in the midst of our enemies. That no matter what our circumstances in life, our understanding of, of God as our great shepherd what will be a source of, of comfort and encouragement and even embolden us to greater faithfulness. So, so, so let's dive into this glorious psalm, brothers and sisters. Let's first consider a shepherd who provides. Verses 1 and 2. David, the, the writer of the psalm, writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now we know that Psalm 23 is, is written by David, who, who we know was once a shepherd himself. He, he writes from a perspective that, that, that not many people here would have. Now, we've noticed in our study of the Psalms that in some of the other Psalms, the, the introduction, you, you, you can learn a little bit about the circumstances that surrounded the writing of the Psalm. We, we saw that last week in Psalm 59. David wrote that because he was surrounded by his enemies. Sometimes in the introduction of the Psalm, it'll, it'll tell you the tune that the, the, the Psalm is, is to be sung by. But Psalm 23 is different. It, it's only introduced as a psalm of David. Now, the, the prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, makes this comment concerning the lack of a title or tune given for the 23rd Psalm. So there's, there, there's no inspired title to this psalm, and none is needed. For it records no special event, and needs no other key, tune that it would be sung in, than that which every Christian may find in his own bosom, his own heart. Psalm 23 is meant to be every Christian's experience of God. It, it should be the song of our hearts, is what Spurgeon is saying, where we celebrate God's faithfulness and, and his protection in every season of life. 
in seasons of peace, when, when often we're, we're tempted to forget about his faithfulness, he is there. When life is hard, when death and darkness surround us and we are driven to depend on him more fully, he is there. When we are opposed and, and when we face uncertainty, he is there. Even when we leave this life behind and, and end up where he is, obviously, he is there forever. It's a glorious reality, brothers and sisters. We are always cared for by our shepherd. Psalm 23 begins with a simple statement that, that really sets the stage for everything else we find in, in the rest of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I mentioned earlier that David knew a little something about being a shepherd. In his youth, before he was known as a great warrior, before he was even crowned king, David's character was forged on the plains and the, and the low country of Israel as he cared for his family's sheep. He, he cared for and protected some of the most helpless and hapless animals on the entire planet. Sheep. It's true. And an honest and humble Christian should have no problem admitting that, that being referred to as a sheep in the Bible is pretty appropriate. We often find ourselves in situations that we can't get ourselves out of. We often find ourselves in need of care that we cannot provide for ourselves. We do dumb things that, that aren't in our best interest, and we need protection from those who would seek to do us harm. And we need it from someone who is much greater and more powerful than we are. God's people are often referred to as sheep throughout the Bible. Uh, one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament is Isaiah 53.6. This is the passage where Isaiah is describing the, the coming Messiah who would be a suffering servant redeeming the people from their sins. And this is what Isaiah says about people in verse 6. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the suffering servant, the iniquity of us all. Gone astray, turned our own way. In need of someone to, to bear the guilt for our sins. Here, here's an example from the New Testament. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And when he, speaking of Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Neither description is very pretty, <laughs> but very accurate when it comes to the human condition. We are like sheep in need of a shepherd. We, 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 we won't argue that point, but, but we need also to keep in mind that being a shepherd in Israel was, was not a job that people aspired to. 
We'll admit, yeah, we, we, we need a shepherd. We need God as our shepherd. Yes, God's description of me when I'm thinking clearly as being in need of a shepherd is true. I'm easily led astray. I'm weak. I'm often fearful. I need someone greater to care for me. But we miss out on the fact that there is a, a level of condescension that goes on as, as, as David speaks of God as a shepherd, but even in the New Testament as Jesus himself speaks of being a shepherd. There, there's a lowering of oneself for the God of the universe to, to, to be referred to from the position of what was seen as one of the worst jobs you could have in ancient Israel. A shepherd. Shepherds were looked down upon in the Old and the New Testament times. For, for David to write, the Lord, that's Yahweh, is my shepherd, is a statement that he recognizes how God has condescended in order to care for him. Now, it's been a few weeks, but, but even as I say that, I hope Psalm 113 comes to mind. Do you, do you remember Psalm 113? Well, if not, make a note in your bulletin right now, I'm watching, to go back and read Psalm 113 with Psalm 23 in mind. I'll, I'll help you out. Psalm 113 are nine verses that, that, that describe the majesty and the glory of a God who is so much greater than all that he has made. yet transitions midway through to speak of how this glorious, majestic God who is, who is far greater than anything that he has made stoops low to care for his people. So there is condescension. It is willful and loving and compassionate. But there is no greater, more accurate description than, than what God does for his people than that of a shepherd. So he's putting it in terms that we can understand, but, but we can't miss the fact of what a great act of love it is for God to condescend that way, to, to lower himself. Now, that does not feed our pride very well, does it? No, I'm so great God had to save me, right? No, don't believe the lie. You do not need the self-help, feel-good version of your Christian bookstore. You need a biblical understanding of, of God's love for us. He stooped low to save us who were not worthy of salvation. We did not deserve His love. We deserve His judgment. And that makes His love all the more beautiful. He could have snapped his fingers and, and started over with everything again. But in his love, he lowers himself. In his love, he shepherds us. God is majestic. We are wayward. God is perfect. We are not. But through Christ, he's made a way. David, 
understood clearly that the love and care and provision and protection that he had received from God what, what was, the, what was, was a perfect, perfect, perfected version of, of the care that he had given when he was a shepherd himself. Verses 1 and 2 describe God as the shepherd who provides. The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That phrase, I shall not want, it's a, it's a statement of confidence in God's provision for his needs. Now, sheep left to themselves, they lack almost everything. The great pastor James Montgomery Boyce points out that, that sheep are some of the most helpless animals on the planet. But those who belong to the good shepherd, the, the, the one who is self-sufficient, the one who never grows tired, the one who never changes, will lack no good thing that they need. Now, I don't want you to let the English word want confuse you. Now, want is not, in this case, in, in the 23rd Psalm, it's not a reference to our desires. I want a million dollars. That's not what David has in mind here. The, the, the Hebrew word translated want is also translated to, to lack or be deprived of something. So it, it, it's a described, it, it describes being without the, those basic needs that, that we have to have to live. That's why I said earlier that those who belong to God or those who belong to the good shepherd will lack no good thing that they need. And in fact, as we go through the rest of the psalm, David is actually describing what it looks like to not be in want, to, to not be lacking those things that we need. In verse 2, we, we see that the Lord provides the nourishment and rest that his people need. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, there's an old book, but it's a good book, written by a, a man by the name of Philip Keller. He, he, he's probably best known for this book I'm going to refer, reference. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I, I had this out last night, and I, I don't even know where I got it, but it, it's so old it actually still smells like old and musty. But it's short. And, and as you can tell by the title, Keller well, was a shepherd himself for a season of life. So, so he knew a thing or two about sheep. And one of the things that he shares in his book in relation to, to this phrase, he makes me lie down in green pastures, I found very interesting. Did you know it's actually very difficult to get a sheep to lie down? We, we do have some country folk here. I see Linnell nodding her head. But, but according to Keller, there are four basic needs that must be met for any sheep to lie down and rest. Number one, they have to be free of all fear. Now, think about this from your perspective as I read these four and wonder why you're not sleeping at night. Number one, they, they have to be free of all fear. Number two, they have to be free of all friction between themselves and, and the other sheep in the flock. Number three, they, they have to be free of all tormenting pests like flies or, or parasites. 
And number four, they have to be free from hunger. Now I read those four things and I think, okay, I'm glad I'm not a sheep, right? Now listen to what Keller writes in, in, in reference to these realities. He said, it is significant that, there, that, that, to, that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. The unique aspect of the picture is that it's only the sheep man himself, the shepherd, who can provide release from these anxieties. It all depends on the diligence of the owner whether or not his flock is free from disturbing influences. So, so without the work of the shepherd, the, the, the sheep is unable and even unwilling to lie down and rest. And, and I believe David begins with the shepherd giving rest because as you look at the, at the human condition, one of the greatest reminders for us day after day after day that we are not God is the fact that every night we need to lay down and go to sleep. Scripture tells us that God never sleeps nor slumbers. But every day we're reminded that we are created dependent people. And I, I don't, it does not matter how well or how poorly you sleep at night. At some point, you're going to pay your dues. Whether you pass out from exhaustion or you sleep like a baby. It's an ongoing reminder that we are not God. We are dependent on God. No matter how rough the day has been or how heavy the, the burdens may be, we must lie down at some point and rest. Brothers and sisters, we must learn that, that we can lie down and rest every night because of the skill and the power of our shepherd. It, 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 they're, they're such that, that we can trust him in every situation, including dealing with our unmet responsibilities, including those situations that are outside of our control. But, but not only does the good shepherd provide rest, he also provides sustenance. He leads me beside quiet waters, sheep like people need water. I read somewhere that a, a sheep is 70% water, which is kind of wild if you think about it with all that crazy wool and everything else. But sheep aren't very smart, and, and their search for in their search for water, they'll, they'll settle for anything. It can be water that's contaminated or water that is clean. They don't care. They just want water. And, and they need a, a shepherd that will lead and, and guide them to the water that is safe to drink and, and good for their bodies. Brothers and sisters, our shepherd, the great shepherd, not only leads us to the water that is good for our soul, but is himself the living water that leads to eternal life. He's the shepherd who provides, even in our trials, even when we feel God's discipline, we are not lacking, we are not in want, we are getting what we need for our good and growth. Do, do you believe this, dear one, that, 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 that God's hand of, of protection on your life 
that it's there constantly and, and that even the trials that we face, he is in control. It matters how you answer that question because that reveals our understanding of who God is. Secondly, we see that, 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 that the great shepherd is a shepherd who protects. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we've mentioned that sheep are not very smart, but they are also very helpless. They wander off. They, they lie down. And if they stretch out the wrong way, they can end up in a position where they can't get up again. They, they stay put when they're supposed to follow, and they wander off when they're supposed to stay put. And all of this leads to their need for a faithful shepherd who has the ability to protect and even save their lives and, and who can guide them on the paths as they travel. Now, perhaps there were some of you who are very astute who are wondering if, if in that description I'm referring to, to human sheep or actual sheep with the wandering off and going when we should stay and stay when we should go. Well, the answer, brothers and sisters, is yes. It's true of both. The, the, the phrase restores my soul in verse 3 is, is, is a picture of the shepherd caring for the diseased or the weak among the flock. He, he does whatever he can to, to help give them life and care for them, to, to revive them, to restore their health. Now we know that throughout his life, David experienced the, the renewal and restoration of his soul through the kindness of God. Think back, dear ones, to our, to our studies of, of Psalm 51 and, and Psalm 32, both of which were, were written as a result of David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba. It's believed that ver Psalm 51 was written first, right after he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet. David's crying out for forgiveness and, and renewal as he writes these words, this prayer to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He wants his soul restored, and only God, who is his shepherd, can, can, can do this for, them, for him. Now, Psalm 32 was apparently written much later, and, and we see David looking back, on this great failure in his life in order to instruct others and also to, to celebrate God's faithfulness. Listen as he describes, looking back, the restoration of his soul. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David knew and experienced firsthand the restoring work of God in his life. 
Now, over, over the years and in our various studies of, of books of the Bible, we, we've learned a bit about the geography of Israel, have we not? So, so this image that, that, that David uses of, of the shepherd leading his people or leading his sheep on the safe paths should, should make sense to us. We, we, we learn that it's, it's both mountainous in Israel and, and there are also plains in Israel. There are, 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 are low places and even the trip up to Jerusalem is one that's elevated and, and you pass through a valley that, that puts you in danger. Now imagine being a shepherd in those days, right? You're, you're in charge of your flock. You need to, to get them where they need to go. And, and the only way is through these dangerous paths with thieves and with predators. Good shepherds, by necessity, had to, had to lead their flocks to different feeding grounds on a regular basis. And to get to the right fields, the, the shepherd would, would often have to go on, on dangerous routes to get where they needed to go in order to get to the next good field. And left to themselves, the sheep would never get there. Being creatures of habit, they would likely either stay where they were even when the food was all eaten up or even wander back on the trails that they had already traveled. This would result in their getting lost or getting stuck or even becoming easy targets for predators. But the wise shepherd knew where to go and how to get there. The, the paths that he led them down resulted in their good. Brothers and sisters, in the same way, the Lord leads his people down paths of righteousness through the guidance of his word. Now, remember the words of the prophet Isaiah? We, like sheep, have gone astray. There's another hymn that we sing sometimes, Come Thou Fount of, of Every Blessing. We're, we're prone to wander. <laughs> like sheep, we want to turn back to the old ways and the old paths that we once walked. But our great shepherd is calling us to follow his righteous paths for our good and for his glory in our lives. And even when those paths lead to hard places, the good shepherd guards his sheep. Look at verse 4. It says, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, shepherds in Israel would, would lead their flocks in the lowlands during winter. And then when summertime came, they would actually lead them up to the highlands in the summer. And traveling up and down, these often treacherous paths opened up the flock to, to danger from other animals and even for them falling to their own death. Boyce makes the point that, that verse 4 is often used to comfort people who are dying. And that's not a bad use of the phrase. I mean, you may have done that yourself. He's with you as you walk through the valley of, of the shadow of death. That's, that's true and that's good. But the point of verse 4, dear ones, is, is to highlight the shepherd's ability to protect his sheep. As we comfort one another with these words, let us not fail to exalt in the reality that 
David is describing a a shepherd who's going to help us safely get home. The the shepherd's rod and staff were tools of protection. They they could be used to guide the sheep or, or retrieve even those that were wayward and stuck. But then also to to beat back the predators. Now the the trip from the lowlands to the highlands were were filled with reasons for for the sheep to be fearful. And that would make them less cooperative in the journey. Anybody see that parallel? They needed to know, they needed the comfort and the confidence of knowing that their shepherd could keep them safe along the way. Now again, these parallels are obvious, brothers and sisters. How often does fear cause us to take our eyes off the good shepherd? We're tempted to look out on the treacherous nature of the journey of this life or even the evil that may be lurking in the shadows. We're, we're tempted to doubt God's goodness. We're, we're tempted to doubt His ability to, to bring us home. But we must remember that, that not only does God's Word lead us in paths of righteousness, it also reveals the heart of the shepherd himself. We, we, we don't just read and study God's Word to know what to do. We, we read and study God's Word to know the God who gave that Word to us. It, it's through a, a rock-solid and growing confidence and intimacy with God that we are able to face the trials that each of us will face in this life. Not with confidence in our own ability to, to tighten the belt and, uh, and, and to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But understanding that no matter how bad this may look, God's got this. He's got this. He's the, he's the good shepherd. He, he's going to bring me home. This hurts. But I will not be in want. This is hard. But he's promised not to leave me. This will be good someday. If we don't know the shepherd, how can we stand up under trial, dear ones? Please receive that as an exhortation that that there's a better way. Oh, how much of our lives do we spend trying to, 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 to guide and direct situations in our own ability to, to try to manipulate the circumstances? There are times that God calls us to act, but we are, are called to act in a way that reflects our faith in Him. And there are other times that we're called to, to, to trust the Good Shepherd and, and to walk faithfully even when we don't see the end of the valley of the shadow. We, we can only know this as we know Him from His Word, dear ones. And as we do, we, we will find that He is a shepherd who preserves His people. Verses 5 and 6. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Now last week in Psalm 59, we were given an example of, of God preserving David's life even as he was surrounded by his enemies. Do you, do you remember that? His, his enemies were literally outside the door, creeping around like dogs, seeking his life. And what did David do? He chose to worship God because he understood that, that no matter how great and powerful his enemies may have appeared to his eyes, God was greater. We, we, we see this pictured in, in verse 5 of the 23rd Psalm. Now, some have said there, there seems to be a shift in David's focus here in terms of, uh, of whether or not he's dropping this image of, of imagery of, 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 shepherd, of the shepherd and his sheep in verse 5. And this might be the case, but, but it also may not be. If we think in terms of the entire psalm, it, it almost feels like we've been on this journey from the lowlands to the highlands, being led by the shepherd. The, the sheep have, have, have left the green pastures of the lowland. They've, they've passed through the valley of the shadow of death with all the dangers there. And they've arrived safely in the highlands. But the dangers have not passed. In ancient times, the shepherd, when he was arriving in the highlands, would actually go before the flock in order to make sure that the field that he was taking his flock to was safe. He would go ahead to remove plants that might be poisonous or obstructions that could cause them to get caught or sick or even to drive out predators who might be in the area with the goal to prepare the way for the flock. He would also prepare an ointment using oil and, and plants that would be used to, to cover the sheep's face that was designed to, to protect them from insects and, and, and skin irritations. Remember, they had to be free from irritation to eat and lie down. Now, could David have this in view as he wrote verse 5? Possibly. But, but whether or not this is a shift of focus in verse 5, David's experience uh, of God's blessing and preservation is what's in view here. Uh, anointing one's head with oil was a symbol of God's blessing, as was one's cup overflowing with wine. These things taking place in the presence of his enemies is a celebration of the fact that God preserves his people. And it's also a reminder that they're not home yet. I pray that we will remember this as we are face trials, dear believers. God preserves us. He protects us. He provides for us. He does so now and he will do so eternally. Look at verse 6. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The, the good shepherd preserves his sheep because he leads us all the way home. This life is a journey from the, from the lowlands to the highland, but the, the ultimate destination is, is much greater than anywhere we will end up in this life because we will end up in the presence of God himself. Struggles, failures, and trials often tempt us to doubt God's ability to bring us home. But, but we must, must remember that, that no matter how rough this life may seem, our great shepherd has already done everything necessary to get us home safely. 
And as we learn to, to follow his lead through submitting to his word, we, we experience this reality even as we face the difficulties of this life. Brothers and sisters, a, a good shepherd is one who provides for his sheep. A good shepherd is one who protects his sheep. A, a good shepherd is one who preserves his sheep. And as I close, I, I want to point you to the one who refers to himself as the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus. Listen to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. Jesus says this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is not, but because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We know we are in the flock when we have entered through faith in Christ. Jesus, who, who laid down his life in order to bring us into his flock. How could one who, who paid so high a price, who, who worked the greatest miracle in making a way for rebellious sinners to be reconciled to a holy God. How, how can he not do these other things as shepherd? He is the good shepherd. I'd like to close by, by making two appeals. Number one, to, to anyone here who is yet truly to respond by faith to the gospel. In John 10, and in many, many, many other places throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes it clear that there is one way to be restored to God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life. We were sinners, he was not. Who freely offered his life on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for our sins. And who rose again as the proof that God was satisfied. That, that all who would believe would be declared righteous in God's sight. That is the only way. And if you do not know the good shepherd this morning, you are an object of God's wrath. It does not matter if you've spent your life occupying a seat in a church. If you've never believed. If you've never responded by faith to what Jesus has done. So I appeal to you this morning, friend, respond by faith to what Christ has done for you. 
Understand that you do not want to stand before God seeking to, to, to do so on your own righteousness. You have none. To the believers among us, brothers, sisters, Psalm 23 is a call for us as the sheep who make up the good shepherd's flock to recognize our utter dependence on him. It does not matter how witty or wise or smart we think we are. We desperately need the guidance of the shepherd in our lives. We need to humbly submit ourselves to his word. We must cling to him in these dark days with a full confidence that he will bring us home. Because he himself has said that, that not one person who is his will, will be lost to him. So I challenge you, I, I, I encourage you, I exhort you this morning, dear believer. Cling to the Good Shepherd. He didn't save you to give you a jump start on, on your best life now. His sacrifice was to reconcile you to God forever. He knew that you would still need shepherding even after your sins were forgiven. And he promises and he does shepherd his people. Let us pray. Oh Lord, such powerful truth from this well-known psalm. Lord, I pray that each one of us would come back to it this week and, and look at it and, and consider it from, from, from different perspectives, Lord, as we focus in on, on the truth of each verse. And that the end result, Lord, for your people would be that we'd be strengthened in our walk with you and that you'd be glorified in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.